Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're going to turn now to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture, verses 2 through 4, allow you to be seated tonight. <clears throat> uh, I pray that this comes together a whole lot better than what it seemed like it was coming together for me today. But in 1 Kings 19 and verse number 2, and I know it's going to depend upon the Lord, the Bible says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also. If I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. What she's referring to is Elijah has slain all uh, the prophets of Baal. And she's saying, hey, uh, since this has happened, uh, tomorrow by this time your life is going to be like one of those. Or I'm going to allow the gods, that is little g-o-d-s, to to take care of me. Verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose went for his life and came to Beersheba which belonged to Judah and left his servant there but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said it is enough everyone say that it is enough it is enough now O Lord take away my life for I am not better than my fathers this is part six tonight in our series in elijah i'd like to entitle this evening basically this it's enough but it's not over it's enough but it's not over oh i feel the holy ghost will help us this evening father i come to you tonight i pray oh no lord god that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts god as we delve once again into your word God, the truths that are written therein. I understand, Master, Lord, we can find comfort in them. We can find strength in them and life, Father, in them. I pray, oh, Lord, let it be those very things for those who, Lord, sit in here and hear this today. I pray, oh, Lord, let it shine some light upon our hearts and our own lives, God, and maybe presently where some may be. I pray, oh, Lord, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for your spirit, Jesus, in this place. Jesus name that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen you may be seated as you're seated look at your neighbor and tell him it's enough but it's not over I really haven't come with doom gloom and all that but you understand better by and by what we're talking about this evening I believe tonight that uh, we'll leave this place perhaps with no greater appreciation for Elijah than what we'll receive tonight no greater appreciation for him than what we derive from the 19th chapter of first kings here and part of the verses that I read you to you this evening because it's in this setting of scripture and these verses that we see Elijah responding as human flesh we see him responding as a man I mean, in this, thus far, I mean, there's been painted a very flawless picture 
about this character Elijah. He's the man that goes that when, when God says go. He's the man that has faith that the Lord's going to provide where there doesn't seem to be any provision. And whenever we just look at that aspect of his life, we think how in the world can we even measure ourselves against such a mighty prophet that uh, just without hesitation is obedient and is so uh, relying upon God that when he said he'll do something, okay, God, you're going to do it. I mean, that's fantastic. Yet it is in the 19th chapter that we really have a glimpse behind the curtain of the life of, of Elijah. So up to this point, maybe you couldn't identify with him. Maybe you're like, man, he's, he's just far-reaching. He's in heaven somewhere. I can't even touch him. Can't touch this, his life. Maybe you haven't been able to identify with his obedience or being able to hear the voice of God and know it unmistakably, seemingly as he has. Maybe you've not been able to identify with that. But perhaps tonight you'll be able to identify with this prophet that responded from his human flesh. Amen. And it's in the occurrences of chapter 19 that we understand why then James penned in the New Testament Scripture in James 5 and verse 17, why he said Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. It all comes really now back home right here in chapter 19, why James said those words. Because in chapter 19, and what it displays for us, it displays for us the human side of a man of God. And God, throughout Scripture, always paints mankind. No, how, no matter how great or how much clout or prestige that they have in Scripture, how much faith, how many miracles have been performed by their hand, He always paints, though, along with that, uh, their flaws. He paints along with that their human side because they are, in essence, at their best, still human as we are. You can take the person that you might have in your mind's eye being the hero of the apostolic and Pentecostal faith that you may even adore and think, man, there's not anybody like that. Let me tell you, there's times that that individual is depressed. There's times that that individual is despondent and that they have reached up their hand to touch bottom. I want you to know that well. But when we look at chapter 19 and we begin to consider this concerning Elijah, when we look at chapter 19, we're not looking at this in order to excuse his behavior. We're not looking at this in order to have something to fall back up on to excuse our behavior. But chapter 19's in the human and fleshly side of people are painted in Scripture so that it can be exposed. And so that it might give some type of explanation for our own life. And so that's the, the lens that we're looking through tonight as we look at that. Look, look how, how diametric chapter 18 is to chapter 19 just from the go. The last verse of chapter 18 has spoken to us that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. I mean, you can't get anything more emphatic than that, that God... He's upon Elijah. Remember, he's just ran those 14, 20, however many miles, remember? It was, passed out the chariot of, of, of Ahab. He's just done this because the hand of the Lord is upon him. And now in chapter 19, verse 2, just a small amount of time has elapsed. The Bible says, Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah. The hand of the Lord has just been upon him. But now a messenger of Satan. 
a messenger of the enemy is coming to him. Let me tell you, folks, and I'm, I know I'm speaking clearly today about where we are as a church. And that is the adversary is always in competition with God. And I might, I, I'm finding myself, Bishop, like you were many years ago, that the more that I dig in and preach and start talking about stuff, the more that it all comes really hard back home. But I'm still going to preach about it. I'm still going to teach about it. He's always in competition with God. It's been from the very beginning. His desire was to be like the Most High. Scripture tells us. So that element and that spirit of competition has not left him. So rest assured that if the hand of the Lord lays upon Elijah, the enemy's going to want to lay some hands upon him as well. Amen. That if God is going to move upon him in a mighty way, that then the spirit of the enemy is going to try to thwart or deter what has already been done in the life of Elijah. Amen. So uh, just as a heads up this evening, if the spirit of the Lord has been upon your life, amen, or is in your life working right now, keep your guard up. Because the devil's on the verge of sending the messenger down your path as well. Amen. To introduce some type of doubt in your life what God had just done. Amen. And here is Jezebel sending her messenger unto Elijah. And her message is this. So let the gods, the little g-o-d-s, Speaking of Baal and Asherah, do to me, in other words, let them kill me, and more also, if I make not thy or Elijah's life as the life of one of them, one of the slain prophets, by tomorrow this time. Now, it's true. There was some clout in what she had killed prophets before. The Bible had already told us in chapter 18 and verse 13, and Obadiah, in talking to Elijah, said that she had killed the she had killed the prophets of the Lord. So that is absolutely true. She has done that, and probably she could do some of that again. Amen. But what Elijah needed to remember was this, was that for three and a half years, he has been in the protection of God. Obadiah even told Elijah, he said, Ahab has sent out search parties looking for you, and you could not be found. And one of those times when he couldn't be found, he was in the country of the Zidonians with a widow. He was even among the people that were the blasphemers and the haters of God, yet he still could not be found. For three and a half years, no one knew who, where he was. So here he is, even whenever he was in the presence of Ahab, his life wasn't taken from him. When he was in the presence of the prophets of Baal and all the false prophets, not one hair of his head was, was taken advantage of. His life was still yet whole with, it, with him. And for that matter, I don't take much, I mean, I'm, I know I'm outside the story. I'm not Elijah right now. But we got to understand, she's saying, just so trying to validate that what she says is true, that she's going to take his life. She said, let the gods do more so to me also. In other words, let them kill me as well. But understand, she's talking about Baal. She's talking about Asherah. She's saying, let Baal and Asherah do these things as well unto me. But there's no clout in that because it's an empty promise because these same gods she's talking about that should kill her couldn't bring rain in three and a half years. 
nor could they cause any fire to fall from the heavens. So here she is. It's, it's an empty promise that she has given unto Elijah. But that does not matter. Amen. Because there are a few things that Elijah is dealing with right now in his life. He has just went through a, va- a great victory. He has just expended himself for the sake and the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a few things that I believe that Elijah is contending with and that determined his response is number one, amen, first, although he is a man of God, first and foremost, he is a man. Number two, I believe his response, what it unearthed was this, and we've talked about this before, and I won't spend much time here when we get there tonight, but it unearthed the principle that there is a vulnerability to victory. And number three, I believe what his response determined and showed what he was contended with, that Elijah had gotten more intimately involved in the spiritual warfare side of things than he had up to this point in time. Now I'm going to look at these backwards tonight. I know I gave them to you one way, but I'm going to look at them backwards. Whenever I say that he got a little bit more involved in the spiritual warfare things, this is what I mean. Because I asked myself the question, what would it? What would it cause a man like Elijah after everything he's already been through? Everything he's already faced. The provision of God. The dried up brook. The, the dead widow's son. The dried up barrel of meal. And standing before a mighty host seemingly being the only one. What, what would among all these things that Elijah already faced, what would cause him to be so affected by Jezebel's words? I mean seriously. After looking at everything he had already went through and everything he had already come through, I mean, what, what, why would this affect him so severely? I mean, what was it a weak moment? What was it? Was it something else? Folks, I believe there was something that's taken place here in Scripture because along the journey, Elijah has dealt with Ahab. He has dealt with the prophets of Baal. But they were really only instruments, if you will. They were only instruments of something a little bit more severe. They were just players in the game. They were just puppets on the string for someone else. The Bible says that Elijah knew, per his conversation with Obadiah, that Jezebel had slain the prophets of the Lord. He knew that as a result of his talk with Obadiah. And the Bible reveals to us somehow in chapter 18 that Elijah knew that the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove ate at Jezebel's table. The Bible particularly says that. He says, because when we meet on Mount Carmel, I want you to get the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove which eat at her or Jezebel's table. What that tells me just on the surface, folks, is this, is that the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Grove were sustained or got their energy or power from Jezebel's table. Jezebel in the Scripture is a literal person. She is a queen and a literal person, but as we said early on in this study, she is also a spirit. And at each juncture in the road, Elijah has been dealing with Ahab, who has just been an instrument of Jezebel. He's been dealing with the prophets of Baal, which have just been an instrument of Jezebel. 
But now he is faced with the bold-faced words of Jezebel now through a messenger. He's being dealt with particularly by the spirit, if you will, of Jezebel for the first time directly through a messenger, that is, right here. So as he's dealt with Ahab, yes, and the prophets of Baal now, seemingly didn't really hear no great voice of her, but now there's a message coming straight from her to him. The height of spiritual warfare had went a little level higher now. Amen. And so here he is now with his response. He's in a position, in a place perhaps I don't believe he's ever been because he's a little bit more in-depth than what he has been before. He's just dealt with Ahab and the prophets. Now he's dealing with the mastermind behind it all. He's dealing with Jezebel. Secondly, tonight, amen, some of these will just be whistle stops. But secondly, there is a vulnerability to victory. In chapter 17 and 18, whenever we have studied these in times past, we see Elijah strong. He's strong, though, in the power of God. Amen. And the assets and the tools that the Lord has provided him. He is a man that is cautious and conscious of the word. And he is a man of prayer. But in chapter 19, we see the fleshly weak side of Elijah. He's weak in himself. He's operating seemingly out of his own tactics and solutions. Amen. We see that uh, he even goes before the word says go. Amen. And the prayer that we have him praying is almost a prayer miss. His crying out unto the Lord that he might take his life. Because we are apt, and we touched this before, so I ain't going to kick a dead horse, but we are apt to put away weapons of war when the battle is over. Amen. Bishop, I've seen it too many times in the life of people, even of this assembly, that when they are in they, what they call a spot or in a place, they increase their intake of the word and they become more fervent or perhaps allow a little bit more time in prayer because of their spot, their trouble, their place. But seemingly when that wave has passed, they disengage from the word and they disengage from prayer and they disengage from attendance at the house of God because, well, the battle's over now. Honey, you just set yourself up for a death threat upon your life. Amen. People want to engage when there's trouble and then let up after the trouble's over. Man, it's a tactic of the enemy to come though just right after you've had victory. Just right after you've just sung your song and thrown your confetti. That's whenever he desires to come in after the spirit or the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah. That's when the messenger of Satan came. Amen. So the answer comes, deliverance comes. Sometimes they'll slack back off. There's no reason for those things now. Let me tell you, there's greater reason now than what there was when you was in your trouble. Scottish pastor Andrew Bonar, he said it like this. He said, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. There's reason then why the apostle 
told us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, that he said, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand take heed, lest he fall. Why? He said, victory, deliverance. Man, we're standing firm. This is great. So you better take heed lest you fall. Don't let your guard down. Don't put your sword in its sheath quite yet. Don't, don't, put, don't put your shield upon a wall and take off the armor of God. No, 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 no. He said, you stay well suited every day. Amen. So that you might be able to come against all the wiles of the enemy. So I believe part of the response that Elijah gives us in chapter 19 and what he goes through is because he's in a deeper warfare in the spiritual realm than he ever has been before. And secondly, because he had such a great victory on Mount Carmel, he's lowered his guard some. But thirdly, and you're probably saying, man, he's going through these three fasts. Well, I'll spend some time here because this is where we are. We're here in all these cases, but this is really who we are. But the great thing that contributed to his response was because he was human, the humanity side of him. Author unknown says, even the best of men are only men at best. Elijah, upon hearing the threat of the messenger, the Bible says that, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life in verse number three. Other renderings and interpretations of the Hebrew of this, and when he saw that, is literally is that he was afraid, and he fled for his life, and he went somewhere that God did not tell him to go. And look at the story. He isolates himself. And he requests that he might die. Up to this point, Elijah's been faithful. Man, very faithful with his involvement with the Lord. Very faithful in his reaction to God. But now we have this reaction. And it throws us for a loop. And we, we do the classic uh, proverbial saying whenever somebody does something that they normally don't do. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> this is a bad thing because we say, man, I can't believe he did that. And we'll hold Elijah more liable for his response only because it isn't his norm. Seriously, folks, because there can be somebody that has a pretty, you know, by all appearances, a pretty clean life, and let them do something noticeably in your eye that's kind of out of character for them, and you'll say, I can't believe they did that. Yet let somebody else who practices that, you know, more often than they, and it's no big deal. You only hold this person more liable because it's not the norm for them. But when the rubber meets the road, pinches cut us, we still bleed, all of us. It might not have been his norm, but it was his nature. Amen. I find great comfort from this verse of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 7.20. There is comfort. It's kind of a weird comfort. But great comfort from this. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That there strikes the common denominator for every single one of us sitting in this room. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good 
and sinneth not. Amen. What I believe tonight is humanly speaking that Elijah had met his breaking point. We all have one. Yours may be different from mine and mine may be different from yours, but we all have in our human flesh a breaking point. And I believe verse number four cannot illustrate that any more well whenever he cried unto the Lord and said, it's, it is enough. I've dealt with dried up brooks. I've dealt with dried up barrels. I've dealt with death. I've dealt with innumerable opposition. I have dealt with the lack of rain like everybody else. I have dealt, <laughs> can you hear him going through the list? It is enough. Some of you, you stood before God and said that every once in a while too. I have. God, it's, you know, Lord, this has happened. That's taken place. That was just three weeks ago. This is what's happening now. It is enough. Oh yeah, that's what makes us, that's what weaves us together as humanity because we all have that breaking point. The character of Elijah, no matter how great life has been up to this point in time, he's showing us the human side of this man that he had his breaking point. It is enough. And what happened here in Scripture, he came to that place of enough that he shifted his attention from the omnipresent, omniscient God, amen, to the obstacles that he had overcome. Even though he had overcame them, they were still obstacles in his life. Do you understand what I'm saying? At this juncture in the road for Elijah, it wasn't so much that he had overcome all this, but it was that he had to overcome all of this. I had to handle, I had to deal with all of this. Yeah, God brought me through, but I still had to deal with it. You know be great if God brought us through we never had to contend with it I don't know how that happens but he's saying it's not so much that God didn't bring me through but I've had to I've had to touch this I had to, I had to lay my hands on myself upon that dead boy right. huh. I had to go to Cherith and I had to go to Zarephath I had all these I had to deal with all of these things I hazarded my life on Carmel and now you're telling me a death threat upon my life? Lord, it is enough. I mean, really, in a sarcastic way, I'm just, is it really? Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, I can't believe this. I get in those most, I say, man, this is ridiculous. You know, I can't, I can't believe this. And then I'll tell my wife all the time, then again, it doesn't surprise me at all the way things are going. It is enough, God. Job 14 and verse 19, just the first phrase of Scripture there, he said, the waters wear the stones. The waters wear the stones. Those nice little smooth pebbles that we get out of the brooks and such that all the edges are seemingly just shaved off and they're nice smooth pebbles. That happens because of a continuous flow of water over them and it's the water that wears off the rough edges 
on the stones and it is that for our lives as well it is the waters the different things that we face the cherubs and the empty barrels and the dead boys and the hazarded lies before the prophets that wear the stones away folks I don't believe for one moment it isn't so much that Elijah forgot what God had done in each of those episodes of his life but it was the idea that here is another one because many of you will say man you haven't forgot what God has done in your life but let another one fall on the table and you're like really is this going to happen again I think David really understood and could harmonize with how Elijah felt so well with everything he had witnessed in his own life David being a fugitive and a vagabond and, and his life being searched for and taken from him all the dilemma in his family I mean he has quite a lot of baggage amen that he dealt with in his life too I believe he could, he could somehow uh, identify with Elijah to coming to that point God you know it, it is enough really come on but there's something that, that, that I understand even concerning the life of David if you'll go with me to 2 Samuel 21 and, and, and verse, number, verse number 15, the Bible says, look at this. Moreover, the Philistines, look at this phrase now, had yet war again. It's not a one-time war. This is a foe that they had fought on several occasions. Have you ever fought such battles that it seems like you fought the same thing, it was the same obstacle, the same problem, the same oh, same oh, you, may, you almost give it a name because it's almost like part of the family, you know. Here comes Mo again. <laughs> so the Bible says, moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And the Bible says the last phrase, and David waxed faint. The warrior? The man that's known for bloodshed in war and you're telling me he waxed faint yeah how in the world the anointed yeah how because he was human and the same thing that spills over our lips has spilled over his it is enough God as a matter of fact the only place in the entire Bible that the word overwhelmed is used in scripture is in the book of Psalms it is used at least seven times in the book of Psalms, the majority of these times it is used as a personal reference to David himself. As I was doing some Bible reading, or I might have been listening sometime over the weekend with all this stuff, I was in Psalms. And there was a verse of Scripture that hit me, and it just helped me out. I'll share it with you tonight. David so then had times in his life, personally, he felt overwhelmed. Amen. Overwhelmed. And he says in Psalms 142 and verse 3, the first phrase, he said, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou, speaking of God, thou knowest my path. In that moment when I can't take anymore and I'm overwhelmed and I'm saying is enough, God, you know my path. You know where I'm at. You know what I'm going through. You know what I'm facing. You know the load that I'm carrying. In the moment that I am overwhelmed, you know about it. Matthew chapter 14 this evening. I want to read a story to you in Matthew 14 tonight. Starting with verse 24. For some, this may be a familiar story to you. One that maybe you even like. Or Matthew 14 and verse 24 
the Bible says, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. In verse number 24, the Bible speaks that the wind was contrary to them and their vessel. If I say it like this, the wind, it, it was boisterous before Peter ever got out of the boat. The wind was evident. It was there. It was contrary to them. It was boisterous before he ever got out of the boat. And throughout the verses, Peter is not afraid. The only time at first fear is mentioned is because the Lord's walk upon the water and they really don't know what this is. Is it a spirit? And they're afraid. To begin with, there is no fear concerning the wind. There's no fear concerning the boisterous, contrary wind. But later in the story, in verse 30, the Bible tells us that his heart now is struck with fear because he saw the wind boisterous. The wind was there in the beginning. It was boisterous and contrary to them in the beginning. He was not afraid. Later in the story, the same element that was there in the beginning... He is now afraid of. What changed? I submit first of all that Peter was tired. Because according to verses 23 and 24, somewhere around evening, the boat was met with a contrary wind. Somewhere around evening. Jesus didn't come to them until the fourth watch of the night, and there were four watches of the night, and this was the fourth. They had been in a contrary wind, boisterous wind situation for four watches of the night. Peter, and all those that are with him for that matter, honey, they're tired. Keeping water out of the boat, keeping things afloat, and I'm not trying to rhyme every line, with everything that they were contending with for all these watches, Peter is tired. He's worn out. Secondly, in the second situation, Peter's position in relationship to Jesus has changed. At first, no fear with the wind, but he's in the boat. Secondly, he has fear from the wind, but he had already stepped foot on the water and he had already made some progress toward Jesus upon the water. He's closer to the Lord now than what he was there back then. 
<laughs> so he had feared the wind before, but he fears it now. For that matter, he fears now, if I can state it like this, for that matter, now he fears what he had not feared. Let me tell you, it happens in your life, folks. That there'll be things that come, a problem that came before, no big deal. And it may come at another time in your life and it'll strike fear in your heart. And we're like, what in the world has changed? For some of you, it's because you're tired because you've been fighting battle after battle. But another reason it happens for some is because you're closer to the Lord. Now, that doesn't make sense. You're closer to the Lord than what you was a few little times ago. I mean, look at this. He had walked on water a few paces. He had seen the miraculous. Seen the miraculous. He was closer to the Lord than he's been. So why in the world, Peter, are you fearing? Well, Elijah's seen the miraculous too. Seen the handiwork of God. No doubt closer to the Lord in his relationship than ever before. But his life is struck with fear. Because where Peter was and where Elijah is positionally called on them to have a greater dependence on God than where they were aforetime. Peter, where you are positionally right now, you're going to have to have a greater dependence upon God than what you needed when you was in the boat. Listen to me tonight. I'm just sharing with you what I felt the Spirit laid on my heart today. That I don't think Peter feared God wouldn't come through. I don't think he feared that God wouldn't come through. For that matter, why in the world when he was sinking would he cried out, Lord, save me? if he didn't have any trust or faith in God. What I believe, this is just McGee impression today. What I believe is that Peter was doubtful about his own ability to trust God. It's not that I don't think he didn't believe God couldn't do it, but he didn't know if he could keep up the trust that was necessary for God to take care of it. Didn't know if he could hold out. Is somebody hearing me right now? I hope someone's got their ears on and listening right here because I think the Spirit's helping us. Because I agree sometimes, Brother Mason, from my own experiences of present and yesteryear evangelism days, that there are times in my life that the same old junk came up and it was no big deal. And other times it was monumental and I was afraid and I was worrisome but I knew God had done it before and I knew he could do it again. But I was afraid if I was going to be able to hold up. Peter still had faith. The Lord asked him about his little faith. He still he had a little faith. Peter still had faith. Listen now. But the object of his faith had changed. Because in reality, one defines fear as this. Fear is having faith in the enemy. Fear is having faith in what you perceive to be the enemy or the opposition. He still had a little bit of faith, but the object of his faith has changed. He had more faith in what the wind could do and what he was lacking to do in himself. 
Amen. It had switched. Elijah was in a place. Amen. He was weak. He was tired. He's worn out. And here it is. A messenger of Satan comes and says, this is what's going to happen. Fear struck his heart because he had faith in the words of what was being spoken and what was being said. You're not afraid of something if you think it doesn't have any power. So the Lord is telling Elijah, Elijah, I'm calling you to a place of higher dependence on me. I know there's a death threat upon your life, but you've had that before. But now you're fleeing for your life. You're physically tired, you're emotional wreck, you're mentally taxed, you are worn out. Amen. We have looked in, at, the, at, the, at the scripture before of Daniel 7.25. And it's speaking of the spirit of the Antichrist that will come in the last day. How will speak great things against the Most High. And he will wear out the saints of the Most High. That's where it's at, folks. He's trying to wear out the saints. Because he knows they or he is no competition to them. As long as they are where they are in the strength that they have, but if he can wear them down, maybe he can have an upper hand there. So he's not going to pick a fight till he can wear you out. Amen. So here is Elijah. He's tired. He has fear. He has some faith in what the enemy is saying. And whenever those things start happening, folks, you will have the most horrific, terrible distortion in your life. Moses was so over, if we could use the word and as we would as a layman, I mean, I'm over it. Moses was so over the constant struggle of dealing with the grumbling and the complaining of the Israelites. They wanted this, they wanted that. He prayed to God, God sinned, and it's a constant little cycle, blah, 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 that he finally told God, he said, Lord, if this is the way it's going to be, just kill me. Why? Because he was tired. He's wore out. He's tired of dealing with all this. Now, we might not go to God in prayer and tell him to kill us, but we'll tell him this, Lord, I don't want to live like this anymore. You know what you're saying whenever you say, I don't want to live like this anymore? There's two interpretations. Either change my life or take it. Yeah, I've said that. <laughs> if this is the way life's supposed to be, I don't want to live like this anymore. Seriously. Second Corinthians 1 and verse number 8, the Apostle Paul he writes us and gives us a little glimpse into his life. He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. <laughs> Man, I'm just going to throw it all out there, you know. That we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. He said, Man, we was in such a frying pan, we was hoping we'd just die. They was rolling us out with a rolling pin and we was, like some, we was like some thin dough on the old sheet there, I'm telling you. We thought they were about ready to poke through. But look at God concerning Elijah. God is so gracious. God is so merciful. He understands us. He understands our frailty. He understands us as humanity. So Elijah, here he is. He's never been told by God to leave. He never was told by God to go to Beersheba. He was never told by God to do that. Amen. But the Bible says that whenever Elijah gets to this place where he is, and he even goes a little bit further, and he goes to the Mount of God, Mount Horeb, amen, and he's there, that God has a question for him. His question is this, and he asks Elijah this question twice. What dost thou hear, Elijah? You know, there are two primary questions in Scripture that I think that are good questions for self-evaluation of any age. And that is the question that God asked Adam in the Garden of Eden whenever he asked him, 
where art thou? And this question that he asked Elijah, what dost thou hear? Those are two questions that every now and again in your life you need to ask yourself, where am I? And what am I doing here? Because there's going to come a lot of revelation from those two questions. Elijah, let's ask Elijah those. Elijah, where are you? Beersheba, when God asked that, it was Mount Horeb. What are you doing here? Well, you know, I had this message from Jezebel and uh, death threat upon my life. Well, what are you getting at, God? Did I tell you to go there? Man, these are some good questions to ask you. We know we talked a lot about the will of God over the past few weeks. Man, it's good to stop somewhere in, that, in your little decisions and stuff and start asking the questions, where am I? And what am I doing here? Well, glory. Where am I? And, and what am I doing here? Because it's going to show forth what the motive and the reason is. And notice each time whenever Elijah gave a response back to God, he never really answered the question. I love those type of people. He never answered the question. All he tried to do was validate that he was where he was at because of such and such. He never answered the question. He's trying to validate him being where he was. Well, you know, I've been very jealous for the Lord and I've done things for Israel and uh, I, the, I am the only one that's done all this and here I am all alone by myself. Da, ba, ba, da. Notice, let's go a step further. I got to hurry. Matter of fact, I really got to hurry. 1 Kings 19 and verse number 5. I got to get to where I'm going. I don't know if we'll make it. 1 Kings 19 and verse number 5. And as, and we're going to read a few verses. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, these are before the questions now. I'm kind of jumping here and there. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Now, this is just tremendous. An angel touches him and did not say, Best say of the Lord. God Almighty, thou hast done wrong. Turn uh, about face and go in the opposite direction and watch the exploits. No, he didn't do that. No, he was dealing with the human side of Elisha here, or Elijah rather here. He said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and lay him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. I want you to notice something here. In verse 5, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree. Listen now. While Elijah slept, an angel of the Lord had prepared a cake on some coals and provided a cruise of water. God never told Elijah as he did with Cherith and Zarephath, go to Horeb or Beersheba and I will send such and such to sustain you there. He never said that. But the grace of God, the mercy of God, provided for him anyway, although he was in a place that God never said to go. And he did that while Elijah was sleeping. Let me tell you something, folks. There are some amazing things that happen whenever you are in a sleepy, stupor, slumber state in your life spiritually. While Elijah slept, the angel was making provision. Whew. 
And I think it's vitally important then that when Elijah awakes that he looks and behold, Elijah takes notice of what God did for him while he was asleep. Let me tell you, I, I might not be preaching to anybody here, but there need to be some people that need to pay attention that after they wake up, they better realize what God did while they were in their slumber. Yes, sir. God knew what this man needed. Man, he's tired right now. This is what's going on. He is not going to benefit ministry anyway if he's tired like this. He's going to make wrong decisions. He's going to say things are me that are not me. Let me tell you something. There have been times in my life that I've been so much out of energy, my physical body has been exhausted, that staying up four more hours was not going to put a sermon together. And my wife has looked at me and said, Honey, go to bed. And I pondered it, and I fought with it for a while, and I went to bed. And I slept. And somewhere along the way, God either wakes me up then early the next day, or the few things I had scrounged together on a piece of the night before I get up and I come here sometimes on Sunday morning and you might think I got 10 pages of notes but all I got was a few hours of extra sleep and preaching you is like man that really touched what I needed and ain't God touched me well I'm not the person anyway it's all about God anyway God knew that his servant needed some more rest and more sleep and while I was sleeping God was making provision. I'm here to tell you today. Sometimes what you all need is just to pay attention to the physical side of your life and just stop. I've told you all before, that year that we had those three camp meetings in a row, man, I was dead. I was there in that last camp meeting, and I know more than on two occasions that I prayed and I said, God... Man, I, I talk to him just like I talk to you. I am tired. I'm wore out. You know, because it can't mean you attend service in the day and night. And so I was there whether I was speaking or not. And then you try to study in between and all this other stuff. And I said, I'm tired. I tell you, well, you wouldn't hurt my feelings if you did something. How the ordinary. And you know, I know at least two times God honored that prayer. Why? Man, he's seen his servant. He's wore out. Can you all sit tight with me for a little longer? i got to get somewhere tonight. In Psalms 127 and verses 2 and 3, I want you to look at this because there seems to just be a man of change and a switch here. The Bible says, It is vain for you to rise up early to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. So we understand what's being talked about here. But look at the switch all of a sudden. I mean, it's like we skip gears somewhere. I mean, it's like we're talking about sleep and rest and all this bread of sorrows. And all, now we're going to children. Crying out loud. Somebody skipped something, you know. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. And the scripture, so the scripture is telling us then in verse number two, in other words, it doesn't advantage us much to get up early and stay up late and, and, and constantly be worrying and trying to figure out. You know, we got our bread of sorrows 
trying to worry and trying to figure out and trying to analyze. He said, hey, I want my beloved to go to bed. But then he switches to talking about children. Their heritage from the Lord. Children are a benefit, amen, to, to their parents and a benefit, amen, from the Lord. He tells them that even children will rise up in the gate and they will, they will take conversation, if you will, and fight against the enemy in the gate. What in the world is going on around here? Because a lot of times, you know, staying up, getting up early, staying up late, you know, keeping for me, you know, I think if I can do that, then I, I'm being productive. Mm-hmm. No matter how tired I am. My wife's told me before, honey, if you stay up any longer, is it even going to amount to anything anyway? I mean, really, what are you going to get accomplished? Oh, I'm productive. Three, I'd say I had three more hours under my belt, you know. <laughs> Listen to me. Here's the connection. I feel like in my spirit today. May you, you may think that you're being productive about all your sorrow and your woe and everything by just trying to stay up and fret and worry and everything. You may think you're productive when you're up. But listen, you will not be reproductive until you go to bed. And I don't mean much for today's society, but back then there was a sacred place that reproduction took place. It was the bed. All right? He's saying, we're up and we're stressing, we're worrying, we're being productive. Maybe so, but you won't be reproductive until you go to, you got to relax. Studies even show, science even shows, that it's more difficult to conceive when mama is stressed out. <laughs> Elijah, he says, we need to just allow you to rest, honey. You need to get to bed. He said, but you might, be, you might think you're being productive being up, but you can only be reproductive if you go to bed. Watch what happens now. He said, you've you, you got to have rest. You've got to have re refreshment. And it's after this rest and this refreshment and some of the things that took place on the Mount of God that later we see a new commission from God for Elijah. Amen. God was speaking to him. He spoke to him. The Bible talks about the wind and the earthquake and the fire that come. But the Lord was not in either of those things. But then there was a still small voice. Amen. And Elijah heard that voice. Elijah was used to hearing the voice of the Lord. It wasn't in what Elijah seen or what he felt, but it's in what he heard. And he heard the still small voice and he understood the voice of the Lord. But here was the fresh commission given to Elijah after some rest and relaxation. Here was the reproduction. In 1 Kings 19, verse 15, and I'll try to get there, folks. I am. I'll close it here soon. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto him, here comes now a word from the Lord. He hadn't had this for some time, but here it comes. After his rest and his time of bed, something was reproduced. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on the, thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And will thy comest anoint Hazel, to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So there's something going on here. Elijah has heard from the voice of the messenger of the enemy. said, I'm going to kill you. It's over for you. You're not going to do any other deed for the Lord. And God right now in his voice is trying to reassure the man of God 
that while some are predicting it is your end, I'm telling you, I'm not finished with you yet. Hallelujah. He said, while others are declaring it's over, I'm telling you, honey, it's not even started. Now look, I'm closing, really hang on. You never see Elijah anointing the two kings. You never see Elijah anointing the two kings. But he did throw his mantle on Elisha. And he did anoint Elisha. And it was through the ministry of Elisha that the other two anointings were carried out. Follow with me here. Elisha would become the product of Elijah. Elisha, if I could say it like this, was his offspring in the gospel, the son of the gospel. Elisha was what Elijah reproduced. Someone hear me right now. Is what he reproduced. Double the miracles in Elisha's life than what was in Elijah's life. Watch it. I'm closing. I hope you follow me. The anointing that Elijah would place upon Elisha's life would trickle onward as Elisha would give commandment to a son of a prophet to be and go and anoint Jehu as king over Israel. Just walk with me. Jehu then would be ultimately the one responsible for the death of Jezebel. Listen to Brother McGee here real quickly, and I'm shutting up. When Elijah anointed Elisha, he was anointing a vessel of victory for his present-day dilemma. The messenger that said, I'm going to end your life, came from Jezebel. But when Elijah found some rest and woke up with a new commission of reproduction to anoint Elisha, he laid his hand of anointing and he was blessing a vessel of victory for his present day dilemma. And once again, obedience paid off because when Elijah placed his hand on Elisha, in so much so he was placing a strong hand on the vengeance of his enemy. I don't know if anybody caught anything I've said here for the last few moments. We need to reproduce in the spirit. And we need to anoint some things. And we might never carry out the anointing of these other things in the life. But you can reproduce something that will carry it out for you. Amen. And not only that, but through that anointing and through that touching and through that placing on hand, they're going to take care of your present, the enemy that you're contending with right now, they're going to take care of. Stand with me. Hallelujah. We bow our heads in this place. God, help us today. God, for sometimes more than not, God, we find ourselves in the 19th chapter of 1 Kings rather than 17 and 18, God. Lord, we find ourselves, Lord, contending with fear. We find ourselves, Lord Jesus, contending with isolating ourselves from people and even meaningful relationships getting alone and 
hollering out, God, how we just don't want to deal with this as this, this is the way that we're going to have to contend and live life. But God, in those moments that we're places where you told us not to go, you are still gracious. You're still merciful. And while we sleep, you're making provision for us. God, I want to recognize that. I want to recognize that. Help me, Lord, to understand that every once in a while I just got to stop more activity and more this and more that's not going to not going to make it any better so I can't reproduce like that I got to I got to reproduce whenever I lay down it's Lord to raise our hand and, and our ear to be sensitive to the voice of the Lord that has spoken so commonly to us God not to be taken by the fire or the wind or the earthquake but again to perceive your will Lord through that voice that voice will bring instruction to our life that voice will have us anointing Lord some offsprings and some reproducings of our life God that's going to take care of some present day dilemmas in our life right now Elijah never 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 did take the life of Jezebel but what he reproduced did what he re reproduced and what he touched and what he it just was a down trickling thing through their lineage and generation that it was the inspiration of one to the inspiration of another that they took care of business pray oh Lord today God take care of business in our lives it may not be today but help us Lord to anoint some things today that's going to take care Lord Jesus of what we're dealing with right now perhaps in our tomorrow Let's pray together right now collectively. God, we're thankful. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.